0: my name is Tiana, I'm from Cameroon and Madagascar, and this episode is brought to you by the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Are you an independent songwriter? If so, the MLC may have money waiting for you. Make sure you're receiving your digital audio mechanical royalties when your songs are streamed in the US by becoming a member and join the thousands of songwriters who are collecting the royalties they've earned through MLC. Visit www.themlc.com to learn more. Uh, What am I saying?
1: this is MPW
0: MPW, mpw mpw
1: the podcast with your host Zylo aria cool. a podcast about Our music, music production, production for the everyday, everyday music.
0: musician where we learn from experienced studio engineers and, and each other, other.
1: Gemma Suguru is a vocalist and a vocal and business coach. She has worked as a soloist for TV on shows such as Dancing with the Stars and The Late Late Show and has collaborated with artists such as Bonnever, Maverick Sabre and Damien Rice. Gemma also runs Pro Vocal Artist, a coaching program for singers to develop as a vocalist and to promote their music. Well, lovely to have you here with us, Gemma, and it's morning there
0: for you. How is it going? It's going great. Um, It's just trying to adjust to it being properly winter in the last couple of days. It's dark, it's raining, it's cold. And it's it's like every single year I forget this happens. It's like a surprise to me. I'm (laughs) like, oh, God, this is awful. I forgot about this. But it's it's, so funny. Yeah, Yeah,
1: I feel like that happens all the time,
0: everywhere. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and and you just, I don't know why we forget it's a shock.
0: Yeah, it definitely brings your energy down and your productivity down a bit. These just after that clocks go back moment, I just find I slow down, but I'll adjust.
1: OK, OK. Yeah, well, we're in the opposite hemisphere in Australia and we've actually had super cold days in November, which is unusual. Yeah. And just now we've had a bit of a change in the last two days have been really warm. So maybe we're going through the opposite of you. (laughs) Things are starting to look good now, finally. Oh, God. Yeah, you deserve (laughs) it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, lovely to chat to you today. And I'm keen to learn a bit more about vocal performance from you in a minute, but I'd love to start off by hearing a bit about you, your career and how did you get to what you're doing in music today?
0: Where will I start? I suppose when I look back on starting singing, I was, I would have figured it out in school that I was good at it. And I think when I was a kid, I was like, oh, good, I'm good at something. Um, I wasn't good at sports. I didn't really like art. And then, you know, I got picked to sing a solo at something and I was like, oh, great, this is the thing I'll do then. This is what I like. So I continued to sing in school. I ended up getting an opportunity straight after I left school to tour. I actually went to Australia when I was 17. And it was, yeah, it was during the time like we really were exporting a lot of those river dance type shows from Ireland around that time, it was like the early 2000s. So I was in an Irish dance show, so I toured with them for two or three years as the singer. And then I went to college, I studied classical music in college. And when I emerged out of college, I started getting interested in helping singers because a lot of the singing students that were coming to me wanted help with pop singing and I was a classically trained singer. I, I couldn't really sing pop. So I had to go and figure that out so I went to London and um, I've tried to find some teachers went to different conferences got into this world of voice science and figured out you know how to convert my voice and um, which was challenging because I was about 25 at that when I was trying to do that and that's like post your like neuroplasticity window so it does I was really those habits classical habits were very ingrained. And then I ended up going into the pop world and getting gigs doing that and being a session singer in pop music and yeah, providing vocals for different things. And I released some of my own music as well during that time. But recently I've just transitioned fully into coaching and I have kind of departed from the artist stuff and the performing gigs because... I just find it too hard to wear all the different hats sometimes and I'm having just a night and I'm an obsessive kind of person so I'd like to just obsess for the next couple of years about the coaching thing and then allow the artistry to come back in in the future if it wants. Okay, that's
1: great to hear about how one thing flowed into another and as someone who runs MPW, I do understand about too many hats Mm -hmm. and something has to give and sometimes that ends up being our own music for a little while, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's okay. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. And can you tell me a random fact about yourself that maybe people in music don't know about you?
0: What jumps into my mind is when my singing teaching has led me into a couple of random situations i was coaching a sports personality and i would move around countries with him and he would be staying in kind of unusual places so he was staying with the Bahrain the King of Bahrain so I was in the house and we couldn't find anywhere to do the session so the best place to do the session was actually the shooting range and so we were like (laughs) jamming some Stevie Wonder having a nice time and then the prince and his Friends wanted to come in and, and shoot some guns while we were, you know, singing like "Isn't she lovely?" Like a very <laughs> weird contrast. Um, but what was the most um, intense about that experience was that they were trying to convince me to do it. And they're like, "Go on, and it'd be brilliant. And you should do it." And they were like showing me all the different guns and which one would I like and. I'm just so out of my comfort zone, I'm from a small town in Ireland, um, just not used to rubbing shoulders with those kinds of people or being in those kinds of situations, (laughs) I ran out the door. But yeah, I've had some clients that you wouldn't have guessed, but yeah, one of my most, my biggest clients was a sports person and got got me into all kinds of random situations.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, in all the random facts that I've asked for Gemma, I think that's the most (laughs) random one ever.
0: (laughs) That is great. So a sports person asked you to be their vocal coach. Is that right? Correct. And I would be the only person in their entourage, like they didn't have a chef, they didn't have a personal trainer. They just liked singing. It would just be me and him on his jet and like it was just really I'd have to explain myself all the time. Like he sings. I'm teaching him singing. Like it was bizarre. That is fascinating. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I don't know. How did that come about? Did he just find you? Uh, He was already training with another vocal coach who formerly was Michael Jackson's vocal coach. And he was like, oh, I want Michael Jackson's vocal coach. So that guy was working with him, but he's a friend of mine. And he said, He couldn't do it anymore, so he recommended me. And I think, you know, the most important thing with working with somebody who's high profile is that it's a recommendation. He really trusted my friend so that they were like, oh, he can trust me, you know. So that was the most important thing. That
1: is fascinating. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that with us. (laughs) So now doing a bit of time travel, has there been an event that's happened in your life that
0: maybe you would change if you could? I'm not sure, but what comes to mind often is college, is the time I spent in college. I did a classical degree and I did a master's in performance. I think mainly the master's because I remember emerging out of my classical degree and you put so much intensity into getting to the end of that and getting it done and getting doing getting a good grade. And I think I didn't really think about what happens afterwards and I actually felt that massive anti-climax after I finished my degree and I was really panicking being like, what do I do? What kind of job? Am I supposed to get a job now? Like as a singer, as a classical singer, where is that? And I was like, let me back in. I'll do a master's. I can't be out in the real world. So I prolonged, you know, kind of more. I felt like procrastinating or putting off my real life for another two years. And I did a master's in classical performance. And just on reflection, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, a creator, you know, creating communities, making things happen. I always wanted to be that. And I wonder what would it have been like if I did, because I went to college because that's what you do. That made my mom and my grandmother happy. What would have happened if I just like went out there and started trying to figure things out in business in my early 20s, 2021? I look at all of these online entrepreneurs now, like 2021, 22, and I'm like, oh, I wish I had, you know, been in this era and had that bravery to do that.
1: Yeah, that's something I think a lot of people seem to reflect on is their sort of college time and university time and did they make the right choice and could they have gone into the thing that they wanted to do earlier? And I think that is a thing for me as well. And it took me a long time to really decide that music was the thing that I wanted to do But I wonder maybe, you know, maybe we just needed that time to really properly work it out.
0: And maybe we wouldn't have got there. Absolutely. (laughs) Otherwise. Yeah. And there's so many things you learn beyond like just the subject, like just being disciplined, like being independent, uh, getting things done, submitting assignments. All of that is just good life training. Oh, for sure. For sure. So talking a bit about
1: vocal performance now specifically. Can you tell me what is the relevance of having good technique for vocals for an artist who is specifically a vocalist?
0: I think the main thing for me is allowing them to be present because oftentimes, you know, when artists are coming to me, it starts from a place of worry or anxiety about their voice. I'm worried I'm not going to be consistent. I'm not going to, my voice isn't going to work on the night. I'm not going to be able to get those notes, not going to be a- able to execute what I recorded, you know, how I recorded the song. And the primary thing that I'm thinking about is like, how do we get them out of their head how do we, you know, allow them to be in the moment, be present and to kind of go into like for their vocal technique to be in their unconscious control and them to that for it's one less thing for them to worry about, because I really believe in them not thinking about it on stage. In fact, like I would be side stage as a vocal coach if I'm ever at a gig with a, a singer and um, I remember a couple of months ago, he was going on stage and he was kind of listing the things he was thinking about. And I'm like, no, 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 you've never met me. You don't know me. We've never done any coaching sessions, forget everything (laughs) and just be on stage because this is too late to think about any of these little details. So really it's just to get them out of their head and bring technique and muscle memory and neuroplasticity and all of that, just bring that into their unconscious control.
1: Okay. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Oh, yeah. Because that sounds so much more like psychology
0: than uh, what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's the being, you know, go, being able to pitch, being able to sing in time and in tune and having vocal health. But actually, especially with artists, it seems to be the psychology part really dominates the coaching.
1: Okay. Okay. So how would you go about structuring a lesson or
0: like a lesson plan for someone new that comes to you Mm -hmm. we'd always start with an assessment so an understanding again I would ask questions like first question I usually ask is what do you like about your voice and that's a hard question to answer often And they will come up with some ideas and they can be a bit abstract. Then when I ask them, what don't you like about your voice? It's a very specific, long, bulleted, pointed list. Um, And they're very articulate on that one. I ask them what comes naturally to you? What has always just been easy for you to do? Because there's lots of things that just singer, like you're, it's different to playing piano, you know, you are just born with a voice that you, you've always had. So there are things that come naturally to the singer without training. And there are things that the singer has worked for, and I want to understand what are they and then we'll get into an assessment and I want to hear the voice I'll be also paying attention to how they speak how they are in general and then I'll be listening to how they sing and I'll be analyzing how they what we call register their voice so that's chest voice and head voice and how do they kind of work together what are their habits in those different registers Are there certain vowels they tend to favor? Are they presenting any kinds of like maladaptations or tensions in their body? So yeah, just observing it all. So that's the vocal assessment. Then yeah, getting to really not imposing any of my ideals for singing on them. on getting to understand what their ideals for singing are and just helping them, you know, giving them what they want as much as possible so that because it's their sound and helping them understand that like there's perfect vocal technique here and then there's artistry and we're going to bring you into balance, but I want you to have a default of balance in your voice, but then the choice to put it out of balance. So that nothing's off the table, everything is available for them to use and express, but they need to be able to find balance. And then their program would be having balance in their voice on a day-to-day basis, taking their voice for a walk every day so that they can easily just access those imbalances as a choice rather than a default. Okay. And I guess during these assessments, you
1: might find some bad habits that they have developed over time. How do you go about the student unlearning these? Mm -hmm.
0: It's tricky. And especially if the student is older, like after 25, your neuroplasticity isn't what it was. And oftentimes I have run into this issue where singers are singing while they're doing other things. They multitask singing because singing is a mobile thing that you can do on the go. People do it while they're commuting. And that's just not going to work. Your brain needs to pay attention to what you're doing for the new wiring to kind of be laid down. But with bad habits, I think it's important for them to understand why it's happened. And if they think about it at a primal level, you as a human being want to be heard and your body will help you be heard in whatever way it can be heard. And if you don't have, for example, a very good resonance strategy, like you don't have a very resonant voice, then oftentimes there will be muscles in your neck, we call them the extrinsic muscles, that will just help things happen a bit more or the air will work a little bit harder just other things that we call maladaptations start working a bit harder to compensate to get to that goal of being heard and so we've got to help them find new ways more sustainable ways of being heard and a lot of that is actually letting go like it's allowing them to just let go and to start trusting and stop working so hard to get heard. Okay
1: I never thought about those really primal things, like you mentioned, as living beings. We just want to be heard, like you said, and the impact of that on the voice. So that's a new way to look at it for Mm -hmm. me, which is great. And when you talk about habit formation, so if we're talking about a singer that is now trying to develop good habits, so can you talk me through what that can look like for a singer as far as is it time to set aside for exercises even lifestyle choices and what kind of things would you recommend Mm,
0: yeah I mean most singers that are working with me if they're not already doing it full-time it's something they want to do full-time so I like for them to allow singing to kind of blend into everything in their life and I'm like look If we focus on getting good at singing, it's going to make everything else in your life better as well. You're going to pay attention to how you eat. You're going to pay attention to how you speak. Everything is a practice session. Like every social interaction is an opportunity for you to shine as a communicator. You know, like how do we show up as a singer every day in in every aspect of your life? I think that how you use your voice every day is your speaking voice. So paying attention to your speaking voice is really important. Paying attention to how... You walk and how you talk and how you hold yourself because all of those it's hard sometimes I think people just expect to like switch on the singing version of them but there are so many postural habits and you know movement habits and speaking habits that are being carried into the session so allowing them to kind of observe them without being like obsessive or bogged down by it but You know, I'll never make progress with a singer who has quite an ineffective speaking voice, for example. It's just very challenging. And for them to be aware of the impact of the habits of their accent on their singing, in terms of like working it into their day, it has to become something that's fairly fixed, I think, uh, in the way that the thing that you're probably the most consistent with is brushing your teeth morning and night. And there are reasons for that because it always happens. We don't have to think about it. It doesn't take too long. And there's a payoff at the end. There's like a little ingredient in toothpaste that makes your mouth feel all fresh and nice. And we kind of crave that. Apparently the toothpaste company put that in there. It's not actually cleaning your mouth. It's just there for sensation. And so that got people hooked to using toothpaste at the beginning. And so you have to have some positive thing that hooks you into the practice that, you know, really makes you feel good about the practice. I often get the singers, I, I would recommend for the singer to check their speaking and singing voice before they run through exercises and be aware of it and feel it and listen to it and go, okay, that's where it's at right now go through the process of the exercises and at the end, do the same sentence or sing the same line. Once again, the difference here, the freedom, feel the ease, and that will keep them coming back for more knowing that, oh, this does help, this does change, this does feel better. But yeah, locking it in, making it easy, making it nice and short, making it positive, even if you have to like layer in those positive emotions yourself, like, God, I'm so glad, I'm so proud of myself for doing this and coaching yourself in your mind but I think the locking it in on a regular basis so that it becomes just second nature is is huge.
1: Mm. Yeah, one thing that you mentioned there around making it short, I think that's something for me that makes it a lot more accessible and able to bring it into a daily routine. So how long is acceptable? You know, how long it's too short? What would you say?
0: Yeah, like I've been at conferences with a really famous vocologist, his name is Ingo Tietze, and he's done a lot of amazing research on the voice and written a lot of amazing books. And he posits that once you've spoken a few sentences, your voice is ready. You should be ready to sing, that you don't need to warm up. So there's a lot of coaches out there that are throwing out this idea of the warm up. But I think what we're talking about is conditioning. And I'm thinking about like the gig is the marathon and the daily practice as the jog that you go for every day. And you can't expect yourself to just switch on for a two hour gig, if you haven't really done anything for weeks before that, only like one couple of hours of a rehearsal. So if you're trying to build stamina, I usually recommend twice a day at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day and keeping them short to the point where you feel like, ah, I'm at a point of ease and freedom and flow. Get out. We're done. Like that's all we wanted to do. And and really, the frequency is really important for the neuroplasticity and for the habits and for the brain to kind of recognize that this is how you want to want to do it then go away, give the brain a break, and then come back again.
1: Okay, so starting with twice a day, and did you say 15 minutes? I think 15 minutes minutes is great, yeah.
0: Um, But I think you can play that by, you know, definitely wouldn't go over an hour. An hour is a practice. That's not really a training session. An hour is you doing some song work. But listen to your own body and try and find that point where your voice feels like, oh, it's very fluid and easy now, And I think that singers aren't paying attention and then there's like a diminishing returns moment where it's like, now I'm just tiring myself. So you want just at that moment where it feels like, oh, it's getting nice and easy and clear and then be like, okay, we're going to step away. Because the instinct then is like, right, let's run all my Mariah Carey songs. Let's do some Celine. yes oh for sure
1: no that seems you know possible to bring into the day so that's great that's great and what would be the most basic vocal exercise that you would
0: recommend for people i think everyone should have an sovt in their exercise routine which is a semi-occluded vocal tract exercise so that has amazing benefits because it shapes the vocal tract it allows the vocal folds to vibrate in the most optimal way which allows the air flow to air pressure ratio to be really well balanced. And an SOVT looks like lip bubbles, like... Mm -hmm. And, or a blowfish, where you do like puffy cheeks and go... You can do like a hum. It's anything that's slightly closed, semi-occluded. So a hum... And what happens is there's acoustic energy being fed back to the vocal folds, and that really helps them vibrate in an optimal way and it helps the vocal tract shape. So they're very therapeutic. Everyone should have them because they really optimize the instrument and they're hard to get wrong.
1: Yeah, okay. That was actually the first vocal exercise that I started with as well. I didn't know it had a fancy name um, like that. but (laughs) Yeah, they're great. They're steep. All the science behind it, but that's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, okay. So one thing that you kind of touched on a little bit at the start is The difference between, and you called it something different to what I've got here, but the difference between good technique and good performance. So how would you say you go about finding that balance where artists might be really in their head about getting that performance perfect, but then their artistry is being sacrificed a little bit? And what would you say?
0: Yeah, There's, I mean, not everyone agrees with me on this, but I work only with artists, right, who sing their own music generally. And that's different to working with, say, a music theatre singer who needs to rehearse the emotions of the song. And I think that that shouldn't be rehearsed because we want them to have an authentic experience on stage with their music. Now, I do think that they should rehearse and allow themselves to kind of feel the music and be in the music off stage, but it's that I don't want them to fix, you know, it's like that it gets very choreographed. So that for me, if you find the balance in the right way there, we can get a lot of real emotional presence. And if we can get them to practice tapping into real emotional presence on stage, that can kind of override that logic brain taking over. But that's a thing that you need to practice. You need to practice being spontaneous and being able to trust and being available and being online for that experience. And I think in the moment, Like there's things that we need to do on a physiological level for them if they are like, you know, high heart rate, they're anxious, they're like in that fight or flight mode, they need strategies to bring that down. So they need things like if they kind of take in their peripherals and dilate their vision a bit more, then that will bring their body out of that state. Oftentimes when you're quite nervous and freaked out, you will um, narrow the aperture and just focus too much. So they like, I get them to look around and like try to see as much of your peripherals as possible. Of course, slowing your breath down as much as you can, just so you can get back to a bit more of a normal baseline in terms of your energy. But like we also are glad that adrenaline and energy showed up for us to take care of business. So it's just finding that balance. Practicing with adrenaline is another thing that I recommend. So there's a Wim Hof is I don't know if you've ever heard of Wim Hof. So that's used for like jumping into cold water and it's used as like an energy meditation in the morning. But what that does is it raises levels of epinephrine and adrenaline. And so that's what you get when you're on stage. So you should practice with that off stage so that you get used to that, that that becomes the norm, like it's normal for me to sing with these feelings and these energies. That, But then just like the psychology of being on stage and just really being grateful, present and in the mindset to serve. And if you are thinking about yourself and thinking about, am I going to get the high note? Will people like this? then you're not able to do your job because your job is to serve other people. But if you're too distracted, worrying about what other people are gonna think about you and is, is everything gonna go okay, you're kind of pulling away from what you're there to do. So becoming kind of in the habit of serving as well on stage. So there's a lot of psychological stuff and there's things that you can practice. Yeah, but they would some of the approaches or ideas I would, yeah, teach.
1: Okay, well, wow. there is, so much more to this than I was expecting in the sense that I feel like your training is like a life training, Gemma, <laughs> more than vocal coaching.
0: <laughs> which is excellent. That's great. I <laughs> you know it's it's funny you can't, especially with artists, but I think it's such a but I mean, with all performers, they're just really exposing themselves and it's so challenging that it always seems to go beyond. I'm always interested in that stuff anyway. I mean, the singing exercises and getting better at the singing is a part of it, but I quickly realized it was just a very small slice of the work.
1: Yes, for sure. It sounds like it. That's great. So then talking about voice preservation, is there something that you would recommend for people that feel like they're tiring their voice out to preserve it?
0: Yeah, Uh, You definitely want to be aware of how you use it on a day-to-day basis. So the first idea is to imagine that you have 10 vocal credits every day. And how are you going to spend them? Because they are always going to get spent. The voice, no matter how well trained you are, the voice will tire if you're using it a lot. So for example, if you have somebody who... Teaches. Uh, they teach in a school, they have a classroom of 20 or 30 kids and they do that from 9am to 2pm and then they go home, they have something to eat, they meet up with some friends, they go to a rehearsal and then they do a gig that night it's very likely that their voice is not going to feel great for the gig. It might be halfway through the gig that they feel too tired. So there are ways in which they have to adjust or adapt their lifestyle and be aware of their vocal credits and their usage of that, especially talking. Like talking is much more tiring than singing and especially talking in loud environments. Probably the main way I lose my voice is speaking in a loud environment. There are other ways that you want to think about how you use your speaking voice, the main thing you want to do is add more higher frequencies to the sound of your voice. So if you're kind of, if you talk quite like uh, more uh, like bassy and that doesn't travel that well um, when you're trying to be heard, whereas the ear canal, I think is, <clears throat> does it pick up like two and a half to 4,000 Hertz is what the ear canal boosts. And so we're very sensitive to those frequencies. So we need to have those frequencies in our singing and we need to have those frequencies in our speaking to be heard more which is often labeled as twang. And so if you're talking to the classroom, you won't say like, hey guys, put away your chairs. You would say, hey guys, put away your chairs. And that's going to be much like lighter weight on the voice and they'll, they'll hear you more clearly and you're more intelligible. So it's like, yeah, using things like that. But the speaking voice is what to pay attention to. And of course, conditioning your voice with some training as well for your singing. Okay, I remember when I was growing up, and back in the day when we used to
1: go out a lot more than I would these days, I used to have just lose my voice the next day, and I used to think that was maybe the alcohol, which I'm sure wasn't good for it. But what I realized years later was just a loud environment, and then just shouting for Mm. you know two hours or whatever more than that. So yeah, so um, tough seems. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't realize the impact that your speaking voice has on the singing Mm -hmm. and, and how you use that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I should mention as well that like what you're talking about, like the hydration is super important. There's a lot we could go into about like diet and what you eat. Generally eat well, like avoid processed foods, eat whole foods. Don't stress about dairy unless you have a lactose intolerance. Dairy isn't a big deal. And just make sure you're hydrated and you're always working off past hydration, like drinking some water just before you go on stage is not going to be available for the voice for another few hours. So those kind of things as well. I think having a lifestyle that's quite healthy and active and you're taking care of yourself really makes your voice sound better as well.
1: Okay, great, great things to think about there for the voice, but generally just being healthy. Mm. That's good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So taking us to a couple of audience questions that we had, Gemma, we had one from Nicole Stevens and Nicole said, how do you recover your vocal
0: range after having COVID? Mm. I don't know how much science or information we have about the specific effect of COVID on the voice or the singing voice. Generally when somebody's recovering from anything, I would recommend that they you know take care of themselves first and recover on a whole body level. If your voice is tired, your voice is tired and the best thing to do is rest it. Some people are like, well, what are the exercises that I should do to get it back on track?" Be quiet. Like if you are going to start transitioning back into exercises, I would recommend an SOVT once a day. There's also something that we call sick voice. And sometimes when you have been sick for a while, your body, especially if it gives you a sore throat and it has affected your speaking, you start creating some what we've called already maladaptations, workarounds to accommodate for the inflammation, for the sickness. And sometimes after the sickness has gone, we continue to work in this way or to speak in this way or to sing in this way when we don't need to anymore, but it's now become a habit. And so we end up with a sick voice. So even though we aren't sick, we're still talking like, I'm actually very sick right now. And we, not that we forget, but that the body has learned to have a sick voice. That was a very good sick voice. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) On tap anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it's about pitching up the we, you know, work on pitching up the voice again, getting out of that vocal fry and finding the resonance in the voice again. So it could be a case of sick voice, but mainly I would say rest and, and let the body recover before you start kind of pushing it. Okay, great. That all
1: sounds like a sensible way to approach it. Mm -hmm. And we have another question from Poma and Poma asked, how long should you warm up before
0: recording? Yeah. So I really think that if you're recording all day, be very minimal, I think, with the warm up because anyone who has recorded, I think, knows that it's tiring take after take. And the last thing you want to do is tire yourself out before you hit record. So even allow yourself to warm up a little bit during the recording. What you want to be doing is getting blood flowing to the area. So that's like doing some stretches. Just think about it as stretches. And a lot of it can be psychological as well. Like, oh my God, will I be able to hit that note? I haven't sung that note yet today. And so just making sounds, like when I'm kind of jumping into a sound check, I'll usually just try different sounds out of my voice and I'm like, hey, hey, yeah. And I'm just trying things to see, are they there? And then I'll do a couple of sirens up and down, some lip bubbles and I'm I'm good to go. But I never do more than like five, 10 minutes of just checking out the voice and giving it a bit of blood flow and waking it up.
1: Okay. That's good advice. And I've definitely done the opposite of that before. So yeah, I thought I had to do lots of exercises to get the best recording. And then it was the worst recording because I was just very
0: tired, tired so. from it. Okay, uh-huh. I, yep. I understand
1: now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All
1: right. So jumping into our speed quiz, Gemma, are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> okay, cool. So that is just five quick fire questions. All right. So number one is headphones or speakers? Headphones. Playlist or shuffles? Um, Playlist. Okay. New top 10 or evergreen faves? Evergreen. Okay. Melody or lyrics? Lyrics. Mac or PC? Mac. Okay, that that was good. That was one of the speedier quizzes, I would say, Gemma. So, <laughs> great work. <laughs> Took it seriously, very seriously. <laughs> yes, it, it is serious business over here. That's, that's true. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, jumping into our top tips, do you have one top career tip?
0: Oh, one top career tip. I would say it is probably focus. Uh, Like, I think the thing that having that North Star, like choosing a North Star, the more successful you get, the more things come into your life and opportunities come into your life. And for me personally as well, just like avoiding shiny object syndrome is really challenging and just staying on the path of that North Star all the time. And every time something comes your way or a challenge comes your way, like always, reference it in accordance to the north star like where do I want to get to at the end of this road um, and stay true to that and don't let your kind of you know worries kind of shake you off the path it's all about staying on the path and choosing the path yeah love that love that and I am definitely one that has
1: a huge belief in that mm-hmm. but it is sometimes hard to stay on it with the shiny object syndrome mm-hmm. which I'm definitely guilty of falling victim to, <laughs> but that's good.
0: And what is your one top self-care tip? I actually think it's about earning things, finding joy in working hard, like flipping your mentality and working hard, because If you don't work hard, you don't get to enjoy things. So it's like going to the gym. If I go to the gym, I know I'll be happy because I'll come home and I'm like, I worked hard. I did something good. And that makes me feel like, oh, yes, this is moving in the right direction. I'm taking care of myself. So often the things that seem like suffering or pain are actually the things that bring you your happiness and bring you your kind of sense of well-being. It's not like, you know, being cruel to yourself, like, of course, enjoy your life, but Finding joy, like how do you flip the psychology around sitting down to write? Like sitting down to write can be challenging to get into a deep concentration, but know how joyful and good you will feel after having done it, whatever the outcome is. And actually, to tag onto that, it's always being obsessed with process and totally letting go of outcome. Like, outcome, who knows what will happen, what will come out of it, and when it will happen. Like, let go of the timeline, just be obsessed with process and being in the doing and finding joy in the hard work of the doing okay so much wisdom there so that's (laughs) that's great
1: (laughs) okay yeah cool flipping the switch on the hard work so that's a good one to think about and one top general life tip
0: I think keeping things simple like oftentimes the answers we all overcomplicate things say for example when you're posting content well it needs to be this and it should be that and if it isn't and if it doesn't have this caption and if it doesn't da da da. of course all those strategies are helpful but you're like is there what's the simplest easiest most effective way to do something always we tend to think that we're more clever than that but keeping things really minimal simple stripped back straightforward and sometimes you have to declutter things you have to declutter your beliefs you have to declutter your wardrobe you have to declutter different products you offer in your business and come back to like what's the one thing that really works and finding that 80 20 you know like 20 percent of the things that you do get 80 percent of the results so that simplicity I think is a really good rule Another
1: excellent takeaway. So, thank you so much, (laughs) Gemma. And I've gotten so much from this episode, and it's given me a few things to think about and maybe a bit of inspiration to get back into my own vocal practice, which I will get into <laughs> but um, if someone wanted to work with you where would they find you
0: yeah so you can send me a message on instagram you can check out my website um, that's provocalartist.com that I'm usually advertising a new boot camp doing events but you can contact me yeah on my social media I love chatting to people on social media because we can switch to voice memo nice and quick Okay, that's great. Thank you, Gemma. I will leave you to the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: My biggest 3 takeaways from Gemma's episode was firstly to start your vocal training with a SOVT exercise which is something like your that allows your vocal cords to relax before you get into it. My second biggest takeaway was that singing is a whole body experience and it's not just about your vocal training but also about how you carry yourself and what you're eating and what you're drinking so to think about those things too my last takeaway was the impact of your speaking voice on your singing voice so to be really wise on how you use your 10 vocal credits especially on gig days and recording days that's it from us this week I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you in two weeks